Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good everything. How are you doing today? It's G Money. We're back. We're in studio. We're doing it again. Can't believe it. Once again, I cannot thank you listeners enough. I can't I can't believe there's one fucking listener, let alone like that many. So uh once again, thanks. It's a weird story. Here's what I did last night. Uh, I'm gonna turn that off. <laughs> eh, fuck it. Alright, so yesterday, I got a couple fucking stories I actually really want to tell. I'm gonna start with yesterday's story though, because that's the one fresh on my brain. Alright, so yesterday, fuck this. Shut up. Alright. So yesterday, I'm out. And I was like, hey, man, let's go out and just, like, walk and, like, get some fresh air and move your legs and, you know, get out of the bed and try to break this fucking depressive streak your ass has been in and just move, 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 you know, that type of shit. So I get up and, like, I was like, well, what the fuck do you, what, name me something, motherfucker, that will make me get out of bed, give me a location and a place, and I will do it, because that's the way my brain works, so I was like, okay, well, uh, let's go to your favorite little store, let's go to George's Deli, because remember, we are here deep in the heart of the mission for mutinyradio.fm, by the way, Amazing comedy festival coming up March 3rd, like through the 6th or 7th. And like, it's going to be awesome, man. So like, check it out. Please come down if you're a fan, if you're in San Francisco, if you give a shit. That would be really cool, man. Because like Pam, I've been dealing with Pam for like years and like every four every fucking year around this time of year this four fucking times i've had to deal with this pam gets so stressed out because nobody buys advance tickets but people do show up like on the day but she's always so stressed and i totally get it man like dude if this is my shit oh my god yeah i totally get it but like there's nothing that's the thing when i talked to her i was like hey man there's nothing you can do about it you know what I mean? At some point, you have to, like, just let go and, like, I hate that fucking phrase, but let go and let God. But it, it, sort of, you just got to let go and just let the motherfucker go, dog. And just figure, you know, well, well, shit, we'll figure it out on the other end of the motherfucker. That's why I paid my dues today early, bitch. So I can try to help her out. And here's another, you know, here's a hundred bucks towards your, you know. Anyway, Whatever what i was talking about so last night i'm out there so i was like all right so what the fuck can i do what do i want so i picked gummy bears which are sitting over here actually in studio which i have not opened up yet but anyway that's besides the point so i go out and i go to the store i do my little slow bop i got my little radio with me and you know i'm just fucking playing tunes and shit and i see my old friend um God damn it. I always forget her name. Let, let's let's call her Danielle. That's not her name, but I'm close. 
so I see Danielle on the street. And I've known that lady for like eight, nine years. <laughs> like a long time. She's like a she's so nice. She's so cool. She's so fun. But she is an absolute no bullshit one hundred percent paranoid schizophrenic with like fucking uh like like, like all kinds of weird tendencies and shit man she's all fucked up but she's super nice like when when she here's the thing here's what's weird when she's not fucked up she's at her best but when she is fucked up that's when that paranoid schizophrenia shit kicks in like into overdrive and like I love knowing a motherfucker long enough where I can tell her hey man you know like if you switch on me I'm out I'm out you know like and she was like yeah I get it and she's smiling and shit cause she is so nice and friendly man and like she loves music dude like oh my god and she loves the kind of music that I love like in particular like weird like 80s women singer shit so like <laughs> when i played nine to five she almost lost her shit like it was so awesome she's singing along we're just hanging out on this really cool corner in um yeah in san francisco man down in the mission it's like fuck it i'll tell you where it is it's like on Nah, I can't even tell you the street. It's between 15th and 14th. Where the fucking... Stand in the circle with 
Hello and welcome to the Common Thread Collective here at MutinyRadio.fm San Francisco. We're at the corner of 21st and Florida Streets here in the Mission District. We hope you come down and join us. We're going to have a really interesting afternoon. We usually do. But this afternoon in particular is going to be of interest, of of social import in in a very specific way because um, Tuesday, June 5th, which is just a couple days from now, is going to be the... um, primary election in California for the U.S. House of Representatives, for the uh, governor seat, for a lieutenant governor. There's many different positions that are on the California ballot um, here on June 5th um, that will help determine who the two final candidates will be in the November general election. So um, we're going to have, we are currently welcoming Dave's out there uh, shimmying around, shuffling around the house here at Mutiny Radio and uh, saying hi to our, all of our guests and friends who come down to be part of that candidate forum. We've got Ryan Kojaste, who's uh, a candidate for District 12. We've got Shahid Buttar and also Barry Hermanson. Um, and Barry is part of the Green Party. So it's going to be an interesting afternoon here at Mutiny Radio on the Common Thread Collective as we uh, jump into uh, the, com- the campaigns of these three gentlemen who are hoping to unseat the incumbent Nancy Pelosi, who has been in the House of Representatives since 1987. So, uh, you know, politics are always a a little bit uh, confounding, maybe a little bit dirty, and uh, certainly often a bit confusing. But you know what? I'm going to play this song that we like to play at the beginning of every show, and it's Ubi Doobie Whitaker, and he's letting us know, don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. Sometimes I wonder where do the moves come from? Up and down, sometimes it's not so fun. I try my best to tell myself it's all Okay. 
It's all right, folks, because we're here at Mutiny Radio. It's an exciting day. Hey, Diamond Dave. Hey, it is exciting day. This is our last day until the big day of the elections. Those who already voted, those who already uh, voted, there are those who got their, uh, between their, 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 their papers to vote in the mail. Please bring it in. To, you can bring it in either to your local polling, polling place and come vote. Cause, uh, because there's a lot happening here, and I just happen to have, and we'll be talking to her, a candidate for mayor on the ballot, something new to me, but something very special. Hey, Michelle Bravo. Hey there, how are you? Well, considering everything, considering it's a beautiful day. Absolutely. Uh, don't panic, it's organic. On the balance, the balance of life, uh, I'm doing fine. Wonderful. And we got John, we play Ruby and there's John. We did. We've got John Rodano, who I'm glad showed up today as we're as we're still do, taking it down to the wire for the Tuesday election, um, because John always has something important to share with us in his music and his words. So thank you, John, for being here and take it away, my friend. So I'm gonna do a song my wife Vicky Leidner wrote. She wrote this song the day after that uh, election, and it called it post-election acute depression blues after the inauguration she changed it to post-election chronic depression blues and now last week she's telling me she wants to change it to post-election homicidal depression blues and I told her that's good she's starting to think about doing something about it so you know. post-election Chronic depression, post-election chronic depression, post-election chronic depression. Same condition, gotta get out of this position, gotta be working a midterm election. Oh, yeah, that midterm election. Ain't no pills, there ain't no shots. So just eat that chocolate. Psychosis blowing my brains with high explosives. The lies are true and the truth's all lies. No matter what you're seeing with your own two eyes. Gotta change a house. The people's house. Can't drain a swamp from the new White House. Can't drain a swamp from the new White House. 
Thank you very much. And I'll be back later. Yeah, his wife wrote that song. Wow, it's wonderful. Stick around, John. Thanks, I'm talking John. to you, and I have your uh, Michelle Bravo. <laughs> and Michelle is on the, on the mayor running for mayor, who's going to be on the ballot. And that's the ballot. That's the one, two, three. Remember, folks, that not like in the kind of old days, not so old days. You don't vote for one candidate. You have the opportunity to vote for three. One, two, three. Your favorite, your second favorite, and your third favorite. Is that right, Michelle? That's right. And so you so you made it you decided. I am very excited, yeah. It's, I, I can feel it. It's, it's been a wonderful learning experience. And uh, I am the former uh, San Francisco, well, I was a student representative of the San Francisco School Board. That's actually kind of my first uh, thing that I ever did in anything political uh, when I was in, again, when I was in high school. Uh, there's pictures of that on my Twitter feed at 4SFMayor uh, on Twitter. Uh, just really exciting times, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here, but definitely a lot of, of worrisome things brought me oh to goodness. running, you know? And the more you see, uh, when you were a student on the school board, I was, uh, I was a senator and a, and a senator on the Associated Student Council City College. Fantastic. So we're doing it. That was when they were trying to take, you heard about it, trying to take our accreditation away. That's right. They wanted to take that college over and turn it into, what? We have no idea, but they couldn't do it. Because yep. we fought them. Fantastic. And that's why I say, and you're saying it too, and you said the school board, I can say more. I say, at City, <laughs> City College. Yep. In the city. I went to City. <laughs> but then we say, let's say it together. At City. At City. In the city. In the city. On the planet. On the planet. And in the street. And in the street. That's where we be with our learning key curve. Is that right? <laughs> that's right. And our learning key. Look at those nipples. <laughs> those learning keys that come together, you got us. These learning, our learning curves will come together at least at this moment of time. And uh, so you had some uh, political thirst or some politics on the school board as a student representative in which you saw them. And I, I don't know how much attention they paid to you. I know what it, the way grown-ups are. Well, they, 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 had, uh, they had overcrowding in the schools back in the late 80s. And uh, that was one of the things I got on the news about and spoke out and definitely spoke out on the uh, school board about that. Because, I mean, people were sitting in the window sills on the floor. There weren't enough desks. Wow. And you were there, too. And so that would give you a thirst, a thirst which you got for a learning curve that led you right here, yes, running sir. for mayor, is that right? That's correct. Well, we all started somewhere, I'd say, anyway, we all started, I go, I go back many, 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 many years. But so here you are, and you began to, well, tell us all this happened. Well, let me give you my, let me read your card. In fact, you can read your card. It's always interesting to do, see what the candidates are doing with the rest of their life. Some of them, like John Avalos, is working for the, for the, for the union. They have various things they do, and you can find out why. But this is Michelle Bravo. Michelle Bravo, are you Latino? Bravo can be on What's Bravo? So name you've taken not, not a problem at all. So oh, actually, not a problem. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my father uh, actually was from Buenos Aires in Argentina, so I'm a first generation on his side. But on my mother's side, we go back six-generation Northern Californian. Wow. And so, yeah, uh, basically, I'm a... I'm, I'm, 
holistic health practitioner, been in business for 13 years over at the 450 Sutter Building, downtown near Union Square in San Francisco. I'm a uh, definitely a uh, lover of San Francisco, I adore it here. Um, and I'm a military veteran, small home, uh, homeowner and business owner here in the city. And again, I, I got worried because I saw so much trash and feces and not the dog kind, but the human kind. And I said, what the heck's going on? Why isn't this being cleaned up? And why isn't anyone paying attention? So- And so I assume that you begin to see? Well, you're seeing all this stuff on the ground, laying around, and so on, and then this opens up the fact that more and more people are got homeless yep. and trying to keep a tent without having their tents be confiscated and thrown in the garbage uh, the garbage truck while they're while they're trying to find a place to lay their head, not just naked on the street. Yep. But if they found a tent, like if a small homeowner, they were small owners to them, and being harassed again and again and again. And why is this happening? Who's behind it? What do they want, want San Francisco to become? Can we connect that to this word that you hear more and more often? I want you to speak to it. And that word is gentrification. Gentrification, absolutely. And the SFPD, unfortunately, they, you know, 75% of the SFPD do not reside in San Francisco. So they have no connection to our citizens. And that includes the citizens who happen to be transient at the moment. And, uh, and another word residing in San Francisco? Having to cross that bridge every day. Yep. And they are, they are. We talk about trying to have the, a police department that reflects, in some way, the city, the people who live here, the voters, the, the people who would be voting if they thought there was something to vote for. All of the, uh, this community of San Francisco, there's many communities. So we're hoping to have a, that there should be uh, the, not so many of these cops who live. Uh, Outside, and seventy percent you say they're over, they're almost overwhelmingly white people, aren't they? My understanding is that is correct. Yes. So we 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 definitely need a more diverse force. Diverse. We need yeah. We need to recruit them from you know San Francisco, uh, because uh, San Francisco cops are going to understand San Francisco values. At least that's my hope, and that's uh, my intention. And also you mentioned coming out of the Marine Corps, and I go, I wish we had a live TV here so I could <laughs> show you, but I could see. And so, how long did you spend in the Marine Corps? I enlisted for four years. Were you, that's, but that's, were you there for four years? I, I enlisted for four years, spent some time in Vallejo at Mare Island. That's okay. where I was one of an installation of 600 Marines, uh, fast company at a naval base there. It's no longer a naval base. It's been decommissioned, and there's now, oh, I guess uh, folks who live in uh, the nice Lennar homes. Uh, Lennar is now building on Hunter's Point Shipyard, and they're building over on uh, in the Candlestick, where they took out Candlestick Park, and they're, they're building over on Treasure Island soon. So with that being said, um, my understanding is that those, those properties are, are fairly, well, not Candlestick, but certainly uh, Hunter's Point has been found to be toxic, at least the soil. The soil tested uh, tests and samples from Tetratech were found to be uh, just not, not good. And, and uh, so thanks for the green, uh, what's it, the green? Green, uh, green Action. Green Action. Yep. Who I go back many years with. Wonderful. Course. And Green Action, who really discovered this and said, wait a minute. And Treasure Island, they said, wait a minute. This stuff is toxic. It's toxic because um, because what it was used for when they were during World War II, when they were, when they were taking bombing of, of, of every sort, when people were being sent to the Pacific to bomb and to die and be died, kill and be killed, all that was happening. And of course, they left a footprint. 
Yes, they did. And they did a lot of um, apparently some nuclear testing over on the San Francisco Hunters Point shipyard on animals. And a lot of those animal bodies were buried right in the soil there. And so uh, may, uh, was it Mark Farrell yesterday was uh, quoted and the Sa- uh, San Francisco comical. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. The San Francisco yeah. Chronicle. Uh, basically, he says that he would quote along these lines, recommend that his friends and family or anyone else should live on San Francisco Hunters Point shipyard. So uh, I, I basically told him on my Twitter feed, okay, so you were saying one thing before that you were against the Hunters Point shipyard because it's possibly toxic. Now you flip-flopped and said that you would invite your friends and family to live there. Okay. Yeah. So you know what I said? Okay. So Mark Farrell's eating dirt in terms oh, yeah. of his word. Okay. Oh, so I, I'm saying, he you know what? Toxic dirt. <laughs> He's eating dirt. Well, and I said, okay, so you know what? Mark Farrell, since you've got a bunch of kids, I'd like to see your kids play and eat dirt because kids do if they're playing in the dirt don't they um have your kids play and eat dirt out there and let's let's see it dare you yeah, see how, how safe it is yeah, you, well, yeah, he's you let your get, kids play there he's gonna ignore you he's not gonna do a lot these are politicians as you know quite well and as you've really gotten to learn you know before learn the way you're running have you did you go to a lot were you a lot of the for they had some forums not as many as the mayor's forums yes but some forums where you met your other candidates yes i did um the first one that i attended was the harvey milk one and in fact, there was a young woman out here um, that I was chatting about and said the same thing. I, I got so overcome with emotion on the taser piece to find that so many in the community were supportive of, you know, no tasers for the SFPD. I, I kind of lost my voice and forgot what I was going to say for the rest of the conversation. A little bit better for the LGBT uh, San Francisco De- uh, Democratic Club's uh, mayoral forum. We all showed up and we were all invited and uh, we were all standing or uh, sitting on the stage and. Uh, lo and behold, we all RSVP'd, except for London Breed. Uh, London Breed uh, came over and just kind of showed up unannounced. He didn't RSVP. We, no one had any idea. And kind of crossed her arms and sat in the press-only section and gave us all the eye. And I was like, well, golly, I've never met you, but gee, it's not really a good introduction there. <laughs> and, of course, our candidates, by our candidates, she announced her that she was running for mayor. Back then, like, who am I talking about? Announced she was running for mayor right here. Oh, well, Amy Weiss announced her run, her first run for mayor in 2015. Yep. So uh, Mutiny Radio and specifically the Common Thread Collective right and here. Women's Magazine have been a real, like, central part of, um, you know, a place where people can come and, and Do what you're doing. kind of branch out and, uh, you know, explore these different ideas of uh, what what's possible, what's necessary, and what can be done. So... Um, thanks for being here, Michelle. And thank you so much. I appreciate your invitation. And uh, again, uh, vote Michelle Bravo for mayor, San Francisco, in this special election 2018. Thank you again for having me, Diamond. And way, way beyond the, uh, thank you. way beyond Tuesday. I want to look at you. So you see, you're part. Of, you're welcome to. You're part of it. I, you said that. I know your learning curve is not going to end uh, on Tuesday. Uh, uh, end on Tuesday, but we'll continue. And the step is a step along the way as we do what? Learn to love. Learn to love. Love to learn. Love to learn. That's what never ends. That's what and never ends. Just, you're always welcome here, and uh, I look forward to it. What do you think, Val? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy we're all coming together in our community here. And thank you, Michelle Bravo, for being my guest on Women's Magazine today. And um, we all are coming together here as we look at look in the face of uh, politics and, and what democracy can mean for all of us in this country and specifically here in this city. And um, I'm, I'm really... It, 
I'm really excited today um, because we've been kind of working up to this, getting ready for this. Um, we have a, we have three candidates here today. Um, well, we have Michelle, who's a candidate for mayor. Um, but we have three candidates here today who are running um, for the U.S. House of Representatives to represent District 12 here in San Francisco. It's Nancy Pelosi's district that she's been, um, you know, the representative of for a, a rather long time. Um, and so I'd like to introduce our guests today. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a forum um, and a conversation with, um, with, with, with these candidates who have uh, thrown their hat in the ring as well and um, have definitely a lot. To, sh to share and contribute about what they see as the most important issues uh, facing not only San Francisco, but the country. So we're going to get a chance to see what we do here, how we roll, because people get a lot of different ideas, and once you see it yourself, you, you won't have that good idea how we roll. And so here we are. So is John going to do another song? Oh, uh, no, we're going to go straight into the forum. We're, okay. we're running, running through, but maybe John will come back later. Yeah, well, yeah he's got to go. Okay, John, yeah. So I want to introduce, and, and if, gentlemen, if you want to pick up your um, microphones for a moment there, let's see, see how we're doing on... Thank you for joining us in this rather relaxed forum here at Mutiny Radio. Um, so we've got uh, three candidates here, Shahid Buttar. Great to be with you. We've got Barry Hermanson from the Green Party. Yep, Mike's working. Yeah, yep, Mike's working. And uh, Ryan Kojaste. Hello, everybody. Hello. All right. I am going to turn your mics up just a little bit just to make sure we've got uh, some good quality sound on you here. Well, why don't we start with, um, so Shahid, uh, you're, you're the first person in line here and the person with the best microphone so far. Um, I, would love, I would love it if you could um, introduce yourself a little bit, um, a little bit about your background and uh, why you're running for uh, Congress right now. Sure. Thanks, Val. Uh, my name's Shahid Buttar. I'm a constitutional lawyer. I came out of Stanford Law School 15 years ago. Uh, I taught constitutional law there as a teaching assistant. I uh, work most recently at the Electronic Frontier Foundation as the organization's director of grassroots advocacy. Uh, I've got 15 years of experience building the progressive movement uh, across the country here in San Francisco, in Washington, D.C., um, and at the local and state level, and lots of different points in between. I'm running for Congress particularly because we are living in a historical moment when we need Congress to show up for work. And under the leadership of a bipartisan corporate establishment, we've seen Congress march lockstep. Uh, in, at, in the aggrandizement of an executive branch that threatens the rights and liberties of all Americans as well as the future. And this is no time for uh, people who put their careers before their public service, as I fear that uh, Nancy Pelosi has grown comfortable doing. And I'm very eager to see our city represented meaningfully in Washington. San Francisco is a unique city. Uh, it's, a, it's a tech capital, it's an LGBT mecca, it's a peace and justice um, uh, center. And you know, if you remix these different communities, and, it, and we're a city of iconoclasts, of people who came here from elsewhere, largely, and I am an immigrant to this country. Uh, I've been an advocate for LGBT marriage equality since 2004, 10 years before the Democratic establishment. Uh, I've been arrested in lots of different cities trying to stop wars that Nancy Pelosi has voted to fund. Um, and watching the co-optation of San Francisco's voice in Washington has been uh, more than I've been willing to accept from the sidelines. That's why I'm running. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for being here and for letting us know a little bit about where you're coming from. Um, and I'd like to go down the line we'll just so we can continue with our introductions. Barry Hermanson, who's running on the Green Party ticket. Barry, thank you so much for, for coming back to Mutiny Radio. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. That's uh, a great show that you guys have. So um, I've, I've been a candidate before, and uh, uh, my major issues that I've been working on, I've been working on universal health care for 20 years. Um, uh, I'm wearing a T-shirt today that has an image of, of an older image of the card that I'm using as a campaign card, U.S. Budget Priorities. And I first developed this um, in 2007 and 2008 uh, to show just the dramatic uh, a percentage of our national discretionary budget that is devoted to military year in and year out. I developed this um, in a campaign originally against uh, uh, Tom Lantos um, uh, leading up to the uh, 2008 primary. Uh, he died in office and Jackie Speer uh, became the front runner. And I'm, I'm very proud to say that um, uh, she, she did win that, that special election primary um, uh, and then I caught her on a vote uh, in the summer of 2008 to support uh, uh, just an enormous bloated military budget. And I printed it on the back of my campaign card. Um, uh, and so just telling voters uh, throughout uh, the district uh, what she had done. And I'm very proud to say that she's been a very reliable vote ever since then against uh, uh, military spending. Um, I'm trying to do the same thing uh, with uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, last year, she voted uh, uh, along with, it, the vote was 344 to 81 in the House, and in the Senate, it was 89 to 8, to give President Trump tens of billions of dollars more for the military than he had even requested. And so this information is on the back of my current campaign card, um, uh, people throughout the district are getting this info. They really don't get information uh, about this sort of thing. I, the, the Chronicle, when they first reported it on Saturday, July 15th, uh, the 344-81 to 81 vote in the House, they reported that at the time it was $30 billion more than Trump had asked. Um, um, and they reported the numbers, 344-81, but they did not report that Nancy Pelosi had voted yes. And it, in my mind, they are uh, in collusion. Uh, oh, uh, by the way, they printed it on page 7A on a Saturday morning below the fold, pretty much guarantee that people would not see it. And this is kind of information from our major media that is hid from us, that there is no debate, no discussion, and I believe that instead we need to have funding for education. Let's educate our children. Uh, let, let us feed people. Let us house people who are homeless. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Barry. Barry Hermanson running on the green ticket, green party ticket. And then we have Ryan Kojaste. Ryan. Welcome back, Ryan. Yeah. I go back to all three of you. Well, for having me back. My name is Ryan Kojaste. I, San Francisco Bay Area native, born and raised here, did all my schooling here. I'm currently finishing up law school at UC Hastings. I'm San Francisco's youngest immigrant rights commissioner, appointed by the Board of Supervisors a month after Donald Trump was elected president. And to be honest, I never envisioned myself running for Congress at 24 years old, let alone against the leader of the Democratic Party. 
I'd like to begin by saying that I respect Nancy Pelosi very much for her decades of service, but at the end of the day, we do need to pass on the torch. A lot of us are frustrated with the direction the Democratic Party uh, is taking, and unfortunately, the unwillingness to fight for the progressive policies that the people of San Francisco um, believe in. So we, our campaign here, and you can see a lot of young people on our campaign here as well, we're not here running for myself. We're running on an idea that we need to have Congress reflect the demographics of America. We need more young people. We need more working families, more immigrant families, more everyday people who actually understand issues up there with a seat at the table to help determine how we resolve the mess that we're in. Especially this next generation, we're inheriting the greatest mess of all time. We're worse off than our parents' generation. So I think it's really important that we allow marginalized communities to believe that they too can run for office. That's why we're so proud to have a How to Run for Office video series, literally teaching people how they too can run for office. We've had to make mistakes along the way. We weren't able to hire consultants. We did this all on our own. Hard work, passion, grit, sacrifice, and we're here today, four days before an election that could very well make us the youngest campaign in history to ever challenge a sitting member of Congress. I think this is an important moment to speak truth to power, to say, look, we're respectful, we're not attacking our incumbent, but at the end of the day, the only way to progress our country is through change. So let's have a meaningful debate on the issues and talk about what is the best direction to take, not only for the Democratic Party, but for the United States of America. And that's why we're in this race. We're excited. We're energized. We're ready to go. And I'm excited personally to vote for myself. I think it'd be an emotional moment given the fact that my parents fled a revolution come to this country and now their kid is on the ballot. That is the epitome of the American dream. So I'm happy to be here and I look forward to engaging in a dialogue with the other challengers. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan Kajaste. And Diamond Dave, you have a question. I do. Now, each and every one of you, all three of you, uh, we've had conversations earlier on. There's been a lot of water under the bridge since you were last in here. Is that right? But you were in here. Is that right? Yeah, and what I'd like to ask you, that was really early in the campaign. Yeah. You were just getting started. Now I hear you now, some months down the line, you're really proud of yourselves, really able to, to find yourself in a way, proud of yourself and find yourself, and here you were. Here you are, and I want to ask you, what, uh, what, what, was, what, what has the campaign been like? What have you learned, been learned in this campaign? You've been, going to, uh, you've been going to various functions, I assume. You've been getting out there in the city, I assume. You've been at various forums where the three of you sit together. Maybe, I don't know about whether you've seen Nancy Pelosi or had a chance to talk to her, but here we are just a few days before Election Day. What are the lessons? What do you think? What are you going to tell yourself? What do you tell yourself about all the time you put in wanting to be elected? And by the way, to the people who don't know listening out there, the, the, this is not going to be ranked choice. Is that right? This is uh, this is where you vote for a single candidate, and eventually two candidates will be out, and they might both be Democrats. It's not going to be a Democrat or Republican any longer. Those days are over. The top two that can then come out of the primary and will run again. Am I right so far? You got it. Okay, so you still have a ways to go. What are you, hopefully, what are you three, maybe, have a ways to go? So tell us what it's been like. One correction. I've, I, you just mentioned Republicans and Democrats. I believe there'll be a Democrat versus a Green on the ballot in November. 
All right. Well, Barry, how is it? How is this? You've run for office before. um, You said you mentioned earlier. Um, So what is to Diamond Dave's question? What has this campaign been like for you? Well, thanks for the question. Um, I have an article that I've just written. It just has been published online uh, for the San Francisco Bayview newspaper. And the title of it um, is um, it's difficult or it's hard to be a Green Party candidate in a Democratic Party town. Uh, you mentioned forums. I don't get invited. Um, uh, the Democratic clubs, the 38 Democratic clubs in San Francisco, um, uh, ever since Matt Gonzalez narrowly lost uh, to uh, Green Party candidate Matt Gonzalez, narrowly lost to Gavin Newsom back in 2003, all of the Democratic Party clubs in town have been barred uh, from endorsing anyone but a Democrat. Um, uh, and I understand it was the Harvey Milk Club that actually had switched their endorsement from Tom Amiano uh, to Matt Gonzalez since Matt actually uh, got into the runoff against uh, uh, Newsom. And so there's a deliberate attempt uh, in, in, in because uh, I, they cannot consider me for an endorsement without losing their, their charter. Um, uh, it also means that the clubs don't invite me. And, and I, so in my article, I say, you know, there are positives and negatives to this. Uh, Obviously, the negative is not being able to speak to people who are voters, uh, even for their consideration. Uh, But the real positive thing is that it has given me much more time uh, to be out on the streets talking to people. I'm not filling out endless questionnaires uh, for all these groups. And this goes to any organization that is tied to the Democratic Party as well, uh, where I don't get consideration. Um, uh, It's it's really amazing. I, I, I'll, I can only speak uh, particularly about my history with labor, and I do so in my article. Um, uh, SEIU, uh, back in 2006, they had invited me when I was a candidate for state assembly, and both of the Democratic Party candidates I, I admitted during the interview uh, I, with the uh, rank and file, they had not done as much for working people as I had. And I've never been invited, been invited back. I, I was told in advance of the meeting not to expect an endorsement. Uh, CNA, the California Nurses Association, I've been working with them for a long time on their number one policy objective, single payer. They won't mention me to their members, uh, yet I support their number one objective. Nancy Pelosi does not. Uh, it's It's... I've had the most fun, basically, in this campaign. It's been energizing. I, I get up every day and go out, and I'm hitting five, six, seven hundred doors. I'm, I'm having fun. I'm meeting people. This is the best campaign of all the ones that I have I've done. So thanks. Well, that is really interesting. You kind of get to have free range because uh, it's almost like with the systems that set up, you, you have nothing to lose. You know, you can get out there and, and uh, talk about the important issues and not have to worry about the backlash of... Hey, what's really concerning to me is the major question, and I have it on my campaign card. Why does the leadership of the Democratic Party prioritize military spending over everything else? And that is not the question that I'm allowed to ask in the labor community. It's not the question I'm allowed to any Democratic Party uh, a club. Uh, it's, it's, it, it is protecting the leadership of the Democratic Party, as far as I'm concerned, so that there can be no debate. Okay, thank you. I have one sentence. 
We know that. But also we know that some people who are, who are, who are enrolled, I've got a friend, Mary, Mary, who ran for president from Vermont? From Vermont? Running for president? Bernie, Bernie Sanders. Bernie, how about Bernie? Here's Bernie. Bernie said I'm running a Democratic, but I'm a Democratic Socialist. And in fact, he never, he never gave that up. We always spoke of a Democratic Socialist. And he was kind of a Green. He went to Vermont as part of the Back to the Land Green movement. He was running, but I don't think he's ever said, I'm a Democrat in the usual sense. And I think the ways you can get over, ways you can get over, up to Sinclair, Socialists back then were running for, for governor of California on the epic to end poverty in California ticket. Uh, was a socialist who ran as a Democrat. There are probably ways you can figure it out, but I understand what you say, Barry, and I'm so glad that you're here. Let's hear it from the next one. What's it been like? Yeah, Shahid, what has it been like Shahid. for you? Sorry to <laughs> I just caught, caught you off guard a little bit. I apologize for That's that. Golf cart is good. Um, looks like we're just keeping, the, yeah, we're just keeping the door closed to make sure we can get everybody's voices heard. So Shahid, this, this campaign for you, I know that, um, so much advocacy work in your background, but not, um, not particularly a fan of electoral politics. What's it been like for you as a candidate for Congress? It's a remarkably privileged opportunity to help mold a public conversation. You know, among the things I've learned are all the different ways that people can participate to help build a voice that is bigger than any one of us. And I've been really humbled by the contributions of all of our different volunteers and all of our different supporters. You know, we have uh, hundreds of supporters. We have hundreds of volunteers. It's a remarkably inspiring thing to witness a community of people come together across so many different communities, right? I mean, to see uh, people concerned about immigrant rights, to see people concerned about the military co-optation of our federal spending priorities, to see people concerned about health care, to concerned about housing, uh, concerned about the co-optation of the internet as a tool for global surveillance or the human rights abuses in which Nancy Pelosi has unfortunately proven complicit. Uh, people concerned about all these different issues are coming together around our campaign, and it is a um, it, it's, it's a very humbling feeling. You know, when I started out, I felt very much like a David confronting a Goliath without a sling. And, uh, you know, our supporters are the sling. It's, it, I feel very much like a, um, the possibilities that have emerged are, are greater than what I could possibly have imagined at the outset. And so that's one thing I've learned. I've also at the same time learned that our civic uh, culture has eroded far worse than I even fear. Um, for instance, I've sat in rooms where I've watched a uh, community of, of color, um, a high income community of color uh, at a mayoral forum greet with tepid applause one of the mayoral candidates who has long championed its interests, while then greeting with roaring applause a candidate who very warmly talked about how uh, they would basically fleece this community and oppose its interests at every turn. And to watch people cheer as they were basically being fed their own flesh was really disturbing to me. And you know, it, it exposed for me, you know, on the one hand, uh, for me, as a long-established issue advocate entering the electoral arena, a lot of people told me uh, that people don't have the attention span or the preparation to even understand what I might have to offer and, and teach and share. And I think on the one hand, while I've observed that to be the case in the broader political culture, which you know maybe is more concerned about sports scores than the policies that will enable people to live and thrive and survive in our city. Uh, at the same time, I've seen a lot of people with very well-established concerns who've come out of the woodwork and, and blown wind in our sails. And I'm, I'm very excited to have their support and to represent their interests, both in this race and hopefully in Washington. 
Well, that's that is that is exciting to to have have these kind of winds come through. Uh, kind of the winds of change you mentioned real quickly there. The the, the people paying attention to sports. Uh, there's a new movement of, of people, mostly men across the country, men of color, and, and it doesn't matter what color you are, but men who are um, black, trying to black out the NFL um, by not going to the games, not buying tickets, not buying paraphernalia, um, and uh, basically just boycotting the NFL. And, and, and instead... Just to jump on that, I mean, think it's because the NFL is boycotting athletes who have the temerity to go so far as to not even raise their voices, but merely to kneel in silent, respectful, peaceful protest. That's so offensive for the NSL, NFL that athletes are getting blacklisted. This is basically a countervailing you know, effort by consumers to flex our purchasing power to hold the NFL accountable to our own constitutional values. And I think it's particularly galling that Nancy Pelosi can't come out and very clearly support a star athlete in her town who's being silenced by an industry. I think it's a very telling reflection of where her own allegiances are and also that that movement is um what i what's particularly kind of moving about it is that instead these people are dedicating themselves to not watch football on sunday but instead to actually go out and and do community work and bring young people in and and like offer their energy to their community as opposed to a lifetime of sundays on the couch so um i see that the 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 changes that are happening on, you know, different levels that we're not necessarily expecting. Um, I can see how maybe that's ex uh, coming into play in this in this election. So, Ryan, maybe we can have your response to Diamond Dave's question um, of I know you talked a little bit about how this has been really energizing for you, um, but t talk a little bit more about um, what, what the whole process has been and the kind of maybe kind of the reactions that you've been getting um, being the youngest person to run for Congress. Of course, it's, <clears throat> it's been a learning experience. We went into this really <clears throat> not knowing exactly what the process entailed to run for office. So we've learned so much in the process and we have been very humbled by individuals who've really resonated with our message. But at the end of the day, politics is politics, and there will always be gatekeepers. So the important message that I have for anybody that wants to run is keep your head up. People will try to tear you down. They'll try and thwart your campaign, start rumors, say that you're not qualified or you don't deserve to run. But at the end of the day, it's the people of San Francisco that get to decide, not some powers that be who try and dictate who, whose turn it is to run. So that's why we have been so excited that the press have decided to write about us. The Examiner, Weekly, Chronicle, things that we never thought would be possible because at the end of the day, these are established newspapers. And I think that shows how strong our message is that at the end of the day, I'm representing an idea. I'm not running for Ryan Kojaste. I'm running so that all of us see something being done and that instead of us complaining, we have an opportunity to take power back into our own hands. And it's a hard process. I was very nervous at the beginning, but I think now I've really found my voice. And I know that people are watching this because they want to believe in hope again. They want to believe that if this can be done, if we can set this precedent, break this glass ceiling, it would reverberate throughout the country. And hopefully more young people will say, look, if I'm upset, if I'm frustrated, the best way that I can do something about this and represent my community is throwing my hat in the ring. And it's not about winning or losing at this point, because as Shah had mentioned before, it was about molding a dialogue. We can have people start talking about these issues. 
Because at the end of the day, the important thing is what the future of the Democratic Party is going to look like. And it doesn't look like people who've been around for 30 plus years. I don't think anybody should be in office for that long. It's important to have new voices, and it's important that we actually hold our leaders accountable. And that's why it's been so amazing to be out at these BART stops, at these muni stops, knocking on doors. People are excited to speak to a candidate. It's been maybe 30 years that someone for Congress has knocked on some people's doors. I'm saying, look, I'm running for Congress, and I want to know what keeps you up at night. And they can believe that you can trust in government again. People don't trust our government. And that's why a lot of the reason that people didn't go out to vote in 2016, or people voted for the candidate saying, let's drain the swamp, and now we live in a nightmare. We've got to strengthen the Democratic Party. That's by getting people energized and believing that they can take their frustration out at the polls and elect a new generation of leadership. Well, Ryan, while you have the microphone, um, let's get into some of this policy, because I think all of you have illustrated to, to me, at least as our guests today, but also as our guests in the past, that you really all seem to have a very kind of big picture um, idea of some of the different things that really need to be addressed in order to really start helping people and making government work for for. Um, society. So Ryan, while you still have the microphone, what are some of the, you know, couple top things that, that if you're elected that you would really jump into, um, you know, with, with two feet and, and try to enact change on right away? Of course. I'd first like to begin by saying that if I'm elected, I can't do anything on my own, which is why we need more good people not beholden to special interests and corporations running for office so we can actually change our discretionary budget and have it reflect the interests of the American people and not the special interests. I think an issue we all agree on is that our military budget is out of whack. And we gotta, we got to change that. One specific example that really bothered me was in, tw in 2017, the National Defense Reauthorization Act. The Democratic leadership, Harris, Feinstein, Schumer, and Pelosi, all agreed that we need to raise Trump's military budget by $80 billion. Yet we can grant free two-year and four-year higher public education. For every family in this country making less than $150,000, the federal government's share would be $47 billion. We could have people going to school, get educated because they're the future and help increase our GDP and, and really bolster our economy. But instead, we're funding the military industrial complex at the expense of the American people. I think at the end of the day, it's so important that we have campaign finance reform, that we gotta overturn Citizens United. I can't do that on my own. We need a lot of people to support that. But one thing that's really important that I'd like to really have a national dialogue on is by making incremental progress on campaign finance reform is banning candidate contributions to your own campaign. Why should you have people like Dianne Feinstein who can sit on $8 million of her own money, put it into a campaign? The money should come from the people. Another really important thing for me is universal healthcare, a single payer Medicare for all healthcare system. Why do I support it? I had my family lose their health care coverage in the recession. I know what it's like to not be able to go to the doctor. I don't want any of my neighbors or anybody in this country to ever lose a home or go bankrupt or become homeless because they can't afford to fight a disease they never wanted in the first place. We need to have that. We have the money to do it. But unfortunately, we have people beholden to pharmaceutical industries and insurance industries. They're not going to do it. And one last thing I want to say, too, that's a really hot button issue is common sense gun reform. I lost my cousin to gun violence in the 90s. This is an issue that is post-partisan. The majority of Americans, 70% of Americans, believe that we need to close the loopholes on private transfers and at gun shows. Why can't we do that? We've got to make sure we can get the NRA out of our politics. 
The best way we can do that is having people who live those issues, who've been affected by those issues, to stand up and instead of being pragmatic, let's be passionate. Let's fight for it. Let's raise hell in Washington. And that's what we hope to do if we have the privilege of being elected to this seat. Thank you, Ryan Kojaste. You definitely should check out. What's your website, Ryan? Kojasteforcongress.com. K-H-O-J-A-S-T-E-H. It's a hard one. Thank you for that, though, and and thank you for, for jumping on um, to talk about some of some of those main issues about health care and uh, gun control and um, and ex a beyond bloated military budget um, and the things that we could do with some of that um, if it's not uh, just going to um, wasteful projects and, right. and harmful projects. Um, how about we go to Shahid on the, on the same question? Um, I know that you're passionate about some of those things as well. How would you tie in that with, along with some of your other top priorities? Yeah, I'll start with three words, housing, healthcare, and cannabis, and I'll unpack the significance of each of them. Here in San Francisco and in urban centers around the country, we have an urban housing crisis. And it's entirely predictable. It's the issue in the mayor's race with good reason, and it divides a lot of people who might otherwise agree on a whole range of issues. At the end of the day, whatever you think of the local policy issues surrounding the affordable housing market, at the federal level, it is inescapable that the federal government has effectively abandoned the project of investing in affordable housing. It used to be the case until the late 70s that the federal government invested many billions of dollars in community uh, development block grants through HUD. The budget for those programs has fallen over 70% since Nancy, over 60% since Nancy Pelosi came into office and over 70% since its high water mark in 1977. Uh, rebalancing the federal spending priorities to actually meet the needs of the American people. Housing is a big one. Another one is health care. Uh, the cost of corporate health care are one of the leading causes of both bankruptcy and homelessness. In addition to housing, homelessness is another issue here in San Francisco. People are very concerned about one of the most uh, crucial levers we can pull at the federal policy lever layer is to make sure that people aren't driven into the street by the costs of corporate health care. It's not just the case that a single-payer, government-paid system would drive down the costs across the system, and it would, both by leveraging an economy of scale, by expanding access to preventive care, which reduces the need for people then to seek more expensive crisis care in need. It also would be an incredibly powerful lever to pull to enable job creation when U.S. businesses, large and small, are no longer burdened with the yoke of providing their employees health insurance, which only businesses in the U.S. have to do, mind you, because businesses in other countries, civilized countries, provide health care for their citizens. Uh, here in the U.S., and that's one of the most uh, dramatic inhibitors of, of, of hiring and job creation, Detroit auto manufacturers spend more money on their employees' health care than they do on the steel in the cars. And there's no reason for that if we just allowed uh, the government to leverage the purchasing power that we all enjoy uh, with a single-payer system. It would make the system cheap, cheaper abroad, uh, across the field. It would uh, expand and better recognize human rights. It would prevent homelessness. It would enable job creation. The same kind of intersectional policy is apparent with respect to legalizing cannabis at the federal level. We already have legal cannabis here in California, but the war on drugs uh, continues to destroy the lives of individuals, uh, of families, of 
entire communities, entire races around the country. You know, we have replicated a racial caste system that rivals slavery in the antebellum period in its horror. And, you know, people often forget that slavery remains legal in the United States under the terms of the 13th Amendment as long as it's a condition of, of punishment. And we have replicated, through the war on drugs, a prison industrial slavery complex worse, at least in terms of the number of people impacted, uh, uh, than, than, than the one we proudly uh, shrugged off 150 years ago. Um, legalizing cannabis would not only remove a pretext for a lot of police interactions, it also would enable a boom in a green industry. Like the jobs that would be available in the cultivation, the distribution, the various administrative support functions in the, the cultivation and distribution of a carbon sequestering cash crop. Contrast that with fossil fuel extraction. You've got an industry there with horribly negative environmental externalities. Cannabis is an industry with positive environmental externalities in which it just so happens our state and the Bay Area in particular is very well poised to benefit. If we were able to allow people in the cannabis industry access to banking services and interstate commerce, which is what federal legalization would enable, if we could get veterans access to cannabis instead of addictive opioids to deal with their PTSD, maybe more veterans would actually be able to survive the suicide epidemic that leaves so many of them tragically dead after they come back from armed service abroad. Uh, again, so just to sum that up, housing, I think, is the most important issue confronting San Francisco. Uh, healthcare, I think, is the most important issue confronting our country. We have the money for both of those, as my allies in the race have, have noted, from the military budget. And I think that legalizing cannabis is another of those uh, post-partisan, transpartisan positions that the American people have come together around, even as our bipartisan governance system has continued to turn a blind eye. Thank you, Shahid. Shahid. Time of date. Amazing. And reminds that a couple of uh, that uh, housing, healthcare, and cannabis. Maybe cannabis can help pay for it. Let's figure out how it'd be to do that. Help pay for healthcare and housing. Number one, I think you might. And number two, and I'm about to get to all three of you. Number two, I hadn't thought of your vision, but David and Goliath. David, the slingshot. He was from here. He was around. The locals were all around him. He was going to become king eventually. Not so. And Goliath was um, from somewhere else. And so I liked your David and Goliath. I hadn't uh, seen it that, quite that way, and I, and I did the moment you mentioned it. The David and the Shot homeboy. But what I said, all three of you. Tuesday is Election Day. Our next program here of the Common Thread Collective will be Friday. And it will be on each and every Friday after that. And I want to invite all three of you, all of you, and in fact, you brought together your campaign staff. I want to invite them too. You got Ryan. To all of you, thank you. Talk about building a movement. The movement that's going to go beyond election day. You're going to need a few days rest, but then it's ready to jump in again. What's it going to look like? How we can do it? I want to invite all three of you to come back. And we're not the voice of what's happening, but we're our voice of building that movement in these troubled times. What do you think of that? Mutiny Radio. Come on back. Sounds great. Well, yeah, because we're really only halfway there. Yeah, because this this uh, this June fifth election is the primary exactly. for this uh, for this seat in the House of Representatives for District Twelve, um, and yeah, it, well, I mean, Pelosi as an incumbent obviously is going to garner a large amount of the June fifth vote because a lot of people kind of you know passively vote for the people who they think are good and already doing a good job and are already there and. Um, you know that that's that's a lot of the thinking behind voting, um, unfortunately. But uh, we're we're doing something different here at Muni Radio. We want to make sure that voices are heard. We want to make sure that um, 
maybe some somebody in this room is going to be the number two candidate in June so that this uh, the campaign and this coalition of progressive ideas can build up to the November election. And like Ryan was saying, it's important most of all to get um, these uh, get the democratic establishment at the very least um, to recognize that times have changed. We're going beyond all that. Democrat, Green, let's get together. Love one another right now. We're in, here in San Francisco, and, this, and the movement is building. It's called resistance. It started with the Women's March. In my mind, it started with me, the new level. And Obama was the Women's March. That wasn't Democrats. It was what it was. People were coming together. Millions, thousands and thousands of women coming together. Well, I believe there's, that's, uh, that that's where the leadership is coming from. And that's what I say just to uh, end up. Goddesses galore. Sisters glorious. Well, on that note, and Barry, I didn't mean to um, like not give you a chance to uh, answer that question. I thought, that in, in a sense, because you were talking about the the military budget, that that was um, kind of obviously the biggest concern for you. Do you want to tie that into any other issues? Well, yes, I'm very glad that uh, she had brought up the issue of housing uh, because it really does dominate uh, uh, the discussion for uh, our mayoral candidates. Um, as it should, um, and I appreciate that a little bit of the additional background info, info regarding uh, federal funding, the lack thereof. Uh, uh, but the additional point that folks really do uh, need to understand is that homelessness in America um, was not a major, major issue like it is today uh, until the early 1980s, and that was a direct uh, result of the federal government uh, stopping to fund workforce housing. Um, I have given the example before of, uh, I have a niece who's living in a two-bedroom condo in the suburbs of Phoenix, and, and it, because it was a federal project that was built in the mid-1960s, um, at the time to move into it, families I only needed to put $1,000 down and then you just, you pay um, uh, basically fees that are used to uh, maintain the property, pay property taxes or whatever, uh, but the property is never bought and sold again, so there's no speculation going on. And my brother was able to buy in, in, in 1990 for $10,000, you know, so from 1966 until 1990, that's all it, it went up. And I asked him last year, Randy, if you were to quote unquote sell that unit, how much would you get? And he said, oh, about $10,000. You know, here we are 28 years later, 27 years. Um, and, and so my niece is living in that apartment, hasn't been, a uh, uh, condo, hasn't been formally transferred to her yet. And she's paying $409 a month which is about one-third to one-fourth what the market rate is in that area. Federally funded housing that is run by the tenants and is never bought and sold again. It has the power to provide affordable housing in this country, and it has the power to make a significant impact on our homeless crisis and what's really been disappointing is that Nancy Pelosi has not been an advocate for restoring the HUD budget for workforce housing all of these years. And instead, the choice has been made in Washington 
to have the for-profit real estate industry uh, actually be trying to provide all of our housing, which hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. We have homeless veterans dying on our streets every single day. This is immoral. Our politicians, every single one says we support the troops. But I say they do not. If we have someone who has given their service, their lives, and they come back to this country and they are treated like dirt. That's, that to me is, is just the ultimate, ultimate in hypocrisy. Thank you, Barry. And again, I just want to remind folks, you are listening to the Common Thread Collective here on MutinyRadio.fm in the Mission District of San Francisco. And I'm Global Val here with Diamond Dave, and we're interviewing three of the candidates who are running for the House of Representatives seat going up against incumbent Nancy Pelosi for District 12 here in California. And um, it's, I like how we're having this discussion here today. Dave? Yeah, really, and what I'm thinking now is that uh, next Tuesday, next Friday, that's a week from today, people. The election will be behind us. I want to invite all three of you, in fact, each and every person in this room, to come on back, invite some folks, and let's take a look at the results. Take a look and see how it looks till next uh, till November. How it looks for the next the uh, next election. Well, we can take a look and uh, read, read some election returns and scratch our mutual heads together and see how that movement, that all of you have talked about in one way or another, how that movement can emerge and how we can bring that come together right now and love one another. I mean, that's the song. And we do it, learning to love and loving to learn. So let's do that, Val. Next week, you guys. We'll have a little decompression. Decompression. Let's <laughs> take a look at the result. It's called Where We Go From Here. Aware. We go from here, not just where we go from here, but a more aware do we go from here. Are you guys down for that? Yeah, we'll see. Presentation. Um, there's a next, the next weekend uh, after the, the election, uh, the California Green Party is having a state meeting in Stockton. Uh, and I am going to go uh, to that. And I've, I'm probably, it's Saturday and Sunday, and I'm planning on, uh, trying to get out of town early on, on Friday and maybe going to see the Stockton Ports play baseball on Friday evening. So I don't think I'm going to be here, Dave. I'm, I'm very sorry. Yeah, I'm kind of in the I'm, same I'm boat. I'm happy to come back the, the following yeah. week. I, th no. I think we're all in the same boat. We'd love to join you. It might be hard to schedule on the air, but you know, my, my decompression no looks like DJing a music festival, so I, I, I won't be in the city that Friday, but I look forward to the discussion. Right on, Shahid. Yes, the multi-talented Shahid Buttar. He's a poet, too, by the way, and a DJ. Um, but I, I want to open this up because uh, we've got a little more time, but I know some, some folks have a little bit of a time constraint um, to questions from our audience. And I, I saw that, uh, is it David Grace over there? Uh, if you want to ask a question and, and see if our candidates here want to address that, um, go ahead. Thanks, Val. Hey, I, uh, regarding Hunter's point, uh, it's been raised uh, earlier in the discussion. For 25 years, the Navy has been responsible for cleaning it up. They've been going out of their way to not clean it up and they've been lying about their activities. So I'm wondering how uh, each of the candidates are uh, facing that off. Uh, property is being sold. Uh, I think Willie Brown tried to put the ballet school on top of that hazardous waste dump. 
they clearly don't have any respect for uh, for anybody uh, in the sale of that property or the cleanup, and that actually includes Treasure Island. I do have to go, but I'll just quickly say that I think it's disgusting, and it shows a lack of regard for the sanctity of human life. And I think that we definitely need to be prioritizing that. I believe Supervisor Cohen recently championed an initiative that would have them retest the soil. I think that that needs to uh, be a priority for our city and also for the residents. And I do hope that if it is shown that it uh, is unsafe and it's inhospitable, that we immediately find a place for the residents to go. And I think that um, it's just disgusting. There's no other way to, to frame it. And I guess the question would be, well, you know, I'm, no pressure here. Go ahead, Barry. It's more than disgusting. Um, I, I believe there's some corruption here. Um, Dr. Ahimsa Samchai has been writing about this issue and uh, the toxic soils, and not only just the Bayview, but uh, out on Treasure Island as well, uh, for a long time, many years. There have been calls for hearings, which have been ignored by members of our Board of Supervisors, by our state representatives, by our federal representatives. The fact that finally this year, there was proof that 90 to 97% of the soils tested were false. And there was still silence coming from Nancy Pelosi's office is absolutely inexcusable. Here is a federal Superfund site in San Francisco, in her district, a contractor being paid tens of millions of dollars to do the work who is clearly falsifying, and there is silence from Pelosi's office. And finally, finally, Malia Cohen, Supervisor Cohen, steps forward to call for a hearing. It's embarrassing. I'm glad she did, finally. But why didn't Sophie Maxwell before that? What? what? The health and welfare of people in this district are not worth asking questions about while other people are making money? This, this is inexcusable. I certainly agree with, with Barry and Ryan. This is inexcusable, it's disgusting, and it's shameful. And I think it represents an all-too-consistent pattern of our major parties putting profit before people and corporations before communities. And you can see that revealed in such uh, glaring and, and unapologetic terms in the Hunter's Point fraud. The corporate fraud to remedy military toxic waste. I mean, in some respects, it and, and we're talking about a toxic waste dump under the site that's supposed to be the location for the next wave of housing here in the community. And you know, if you if you think about the intersections among those issues, the, the Hunter's Point scandal almost neatly encapsulates all the different things we're talking about, right? It's housing. It's the military uh, industrial complex co-opting our communities. It's the commitment to, in this case, corporate fraud. And I'll note a couple points here. One. There is an absent 
congressional oversight role that Congress is charged with playing, not just specific to Hunter's Point, but across the country. There are any number of Superfund sites that reflect environmental racism on the part of the military when dumping, for in this case, radioactive waste for a generation and a half. And now we're supposed to build housing on this? Right. I, I think there's another piece here that relates to constituent services. One of the very uh, basic things that members of Congress do, aside from guarding the Constitution against foreign and domestic enemies, is represent the rights of their constituents. When constituents have gone to Representative Pelosi's office, they've gotten a deaf ear and a stiff arm. And that, I think, is an abdication of the role. I dare say it's disqualifying. I think it's as disqualifying as expanding the surveillance powers of the Trump administration or allowing a criminal president to have a budget without any fixes for immigrant students or voting to keep the troops deployed instead of letting them come home finally after the longest conflicts in American history. I think it's as disqualifying as presiding over the evisceration of the federal budget for affordable housing, landing the city in a housing crisis. If accountability means anything, it is the need for us to shrug off a stale generation of leadership and usher in some new voices, because quite frankly, San Francisco has not been represented in entirely too long, and, and few examples uh, reflect that as deeply and as intersectionally as the scandal at Hunter's Point. Thank you, and thank you for the question. Um, yes, we, I, I, I agree with um, what was what's been said here, you know, it was the 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 Navy who then um, contracted out to the private company, and then uh, the Navy itself turning its back on the uh, the um, you know gross negligence of the contractor that they hired. Um, that is not an American. That's very un-American. If if you're gonna um, you know say that you're gonna, here to protect and defend. Uh, the United States of America and its citizens, uh, that is a huge failure. Um, and you know what, I mean, just to jump into this conversation, because I can't really help myself. Um, it's, it, it just seems like a, a legacy uh, that has been growing of um, irresponsibility uh, on the part of government um, or inability or the fear of representatives um, to actually raise these issues and to stand up for them in Washington, D.C. Um, now, I know, Shahid, you, you've done a lot of some work in Washington, D.C. Barry, have you been um, done any policy work in in Washington, D.C. before? Not in Washington, but I've, I've worked on legislation uh, here in San Francisco and have uh, successfully passed legislation that has affected uh, tens of thousands of people here in, uh, you know, mostly in the area of raising uh, a minimum wage uh, in the area of, of a living wage campaign, so. So my question, I guess, to both of you, because um, Ryan had to go. Thank you, Ryan Kojaste, for being part of this panel discussion, this forum, um, is how do you think, I mean, if you're elected as the District 12 representative for San Francisco, um, what do you, how do you how do you see that that environment of Washington D.C. Like, what are your kind of expectations of that, and uh, how do you think you'd kind of try to um, work within that environment that seems to put a lot of pressure on people to um, make you know corrupt compromises? You know, I, I'm, I've been in D.C. before. It is a cesspool, uh, and the description of 
uh, Washington compelling compromises, it really only works that way if you're advancing your career first. If you're willing to put principles or the rights and interests of your constituents or the Constitution before your career, I don't actually think serving in Washington is that, I mean, it's complicated, obviously. There's any number of things to track and stay familiar with. But it, it's not nearly as um, uh, uh, complicated as it might sound. It's basically a knife fight. And one of the things that makes it somewhat complicated, do you mind if I close the door? No, yeah, sorry. Thank you. Um, one of the things that makes it particularly complicated is the challenge for... Uh, um, Maybe we'll, we'll get somebody to, to close the door. Yeah, behind. thank you. Can you close the door behind you? Thank one you. One of the things that make uh, DC complicated is the um, diversion of interest, you know, that we're told in the partisan arena that there is a tension between conservative Republicans and liberal Democrats, and there's a fight in the middle, and it's that simple. And it's not, because the complicity of corporate Democrats in advancing conservative principles, in undermining progressive reforms, that's, that's really the only thing that makes it complicated, but therein lies a great deal of opportunity. So there are two particular opportunities that I would explain uh, that are available to uh, to me, if I'm able to represent um, the 12th Congressional District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. The first is oversight. So I've written a lot about the erosion of federal oversight, particularly of national security agencies. My work at the Electronic Frontier Foundation when I was running the Bill of Rights Defense Committee, my work before that at Muslim Advocates. You know, I basically played a citizen oversight role of the FBI and the NSA and the DEA for the better part of a decade. I've organized coalitions of dozens of civil rights groups that have posed questions for senators who they've then posed at Senate Judiciary Committee hearings. Uh, I've been arrested in the Senate Armed Services Committee for asking a question that no one in Congress has the cojones to raise. Uh, and this, this opportunity to ask questions of officials under oath and get answers instead of getting locked up for it uh, would be particularly compelling. Some of the questions that I would particularly force answers to, how many Americans have been subjected to so-called incidental collection by the National Security Agency? Uh, you know, how many uh, Americans have, uh, uh, you know, continue to bear penalties as a result of convictions for nonviolent drug offenses that have no constitutional basis for being criminalized in the first place, right? How many veterans could be served if we allowed uh, non-pharmaceutical treatments for depression and PTSD or anxiety, right? These are crucial questions that no one is asking, that in an oversight role, uh, you could really get to the bottom of. I'll, I'll note another one that is particularly sharp for me in the wake of the last few weeks, we now have an international war criminal leading the CIA. And you know, th this, this, the CIA torture scandal and the drone strikes uh, escalation of the agency's long-established and continuing enduring human rights abuses is an, a perfect example of the bipartisan co-optation of our Constitution because Democrats have had their hands all over it. And this is an arena where, as a member of Congress, not only would I be uh, actively investigating government agencies through the oversight role, shaking facts loose to inform the news cycle, being an ally to whistleblowers instead of the kinds of members of Congress who throw them under the bus consistently. Um, in addition to that, there is a profound opportunity to work across the wings of the political system to outflank a bipartisan, a bipartisan establishment uh, that has its head in the sand. We've already established any number of places, healthcare, housing, drug policy, uh, foreign policy, where uh, corporate Democrats are basically promoting conservative principles. The way around that, there are on each of these issues, not each of them, but on many of them, certainly drug policy, parts of the foreign policy equation, civil liberties, and political process reform, 
there is a consensus across the political spectrum and available alliances with libertarian members of Congress who have before with, joined with progressive Democrats already overcome the institutional inertia of the bipartisan center. Uh, I'll just move one last thing. There was a recent study uh, done, I believe it was with uh, professors from Columbia University who uh, documented empirically and with some de degree of statistical rigor that the most uh, uh, prone to authoritarianism uh, perspective in the United States are centrists, which is to say it is the bipartisan establishment that by appeasing a criminal president is in danger of ducking us all into the punch of emerging authoritarianism. And, and that is the train that I hope to, to stop from reaching the next station. And that requires members of Congress who are willing to throw themselves on the tracks, and that's exactly what I'm going to Congress to do. Question. I mean, Saeed, I have one question. Do you, do you take time at all just to be an ordinary human being? Or is your mind going at all times and all times with all this stuff? It's kind of mind blowing to hear you. And I just want to say, I love you, brother. I Take you some too, time to be an ordinary human being like the rest of us. How's that? You know, I love you too, Dave. You've been an inspiration to me for, for 15 years. Folks, some folks, some of your listeners might not know that when we launched the 16th and Mission Outdoor Art Convergence, uh, which has had an outdoor open mic every week for the last 15 years, one of our original inspirations was our host, Diamond Dave Whitaker. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a normal person to the extent that I have passions outside politics. In fact, I was just out at 16th and Mission last night uh, at 11:30, singing the blues. Okay, uh, well, that's and, all that and he's going to DJ a festival next weekend. I, I, from well, what I hear, we're doing all this stuff, but it's up to you to talk to yourself a bit. You're talking to me. You're talking to everybody here. You're talking to your best listener. But talk to yourself a little bit sometime and say, how I can, can I take some time after Tuesday to take some time? And you, you, you want to give yourself a brain explosion too much because like, well, my God, what's going to happen to this dude's brain? And just take a little quiet, a little rest, and we'll see what happens. You're one of you, maybe you, will be the number two with the Nancy Pelosi and one of the two of you. But the rest will come, and then it'll be the first day of the rest of our lives, and let's figure what to do and how to do it and come together as equals, as brothers and sisters, sisters and brothers, human beings here at the planet. In the greenest of the green, state, city, neighborhood, the mission, green. And thank you. In fact, I was just brought in uh, I, I think I think I think what we're getting down to here is that Diamond Dave cares about everybody's well-being, as we do here on the Common Thread Collective. Um, but uh, being here today has been a really enlightening conversation. I'm glad that we got to have three of the candidates to come into the same room. We can kind of see where some of these issues, um, you know, definitely cross over between and amongst the candidates, but also just within this kind of voting block that we really um, can have here, especially in San Francisco, a movement of people um, who are seen and are no longer have the blinders on about the two-party system that has really failed us in many respects. Um, you know, I, I also would, you know, give credit to all of our public servants, but um, certainly um, not to the uh you know, the, the, the corruption of, of those values that may have put them in there in the first place. But I think that the values in this room um, really represent a new era of ethical uh, representation um, and certainly passion that can take us forward and out of some of this mess. So what do you say? Housing, health care and cannabis. Let's figure it out. Dave, just keep it organic, brother.
That's right. Don't pan it. Keep it organic. Shahid Buttar, um, your your uh, website is shahidforchange.us. That's right. And Barry Hermanson, your website is? Barry for It's a number four. Barry for Congress. B-A-R-R-Y. Yes. And Sorry. Yeah, BarryForCongress.org. Oh, thank you. Oh, we're getting we're getting taken care of here because this is community. Thank you. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, if you have any other final comments you want to make, and then we'll kind of wrap it up and and uh, go back go into the rest of our programming here this afternoon. But we're certainly happy that you're here and uh, flexible. Go ahead, Barry. Well, I just I just want to say to all the other candidates. Um, during this last few days uh, before the election, it's uh, traditionally it's a time of just incredible stress. You wake up in the morning and you say, what is it that I haven't done? I, I, what can I do extra in order to get up over the top? Um, I've done this before. And, and uh, you know, I finally, it's, I finally decided it's, I've done the work. I know you've done the work, Shahid, uh, that it, it's, Time just to have some fun. Yes, do some work, do some work, but enjoy the last few days of the campaign. Yeah. And thanks, Val, for bringing us together. It's always fun to share a forum. Right. Well, folks, you have been listening to the Candidates Forum for District 12 of California, re representing San Francisco in the House of Representatives, Shahid Buttar. Barry Hermanson and Ryan Kajaste joined us here today. They're all challenging Nancy Pelosi, and I wish all of you great um, luck. And I think um, it's beyond luck right now. We're just, uh, I, think, I think we're seeing a real change in this country, and I think that a lot of change is possible. And we're, we're talking about it, and we're seeing it happen right here, right now, at Mutiny Radio, here in the Mission District of San Francisco, uh, where we like to pr uh, support and promote and practice free speech um, because it, it's a it's kind of a solemn reminder that um, there are many people in this world and not just uh, far and away but in this community um, who don't have the right to exercise their right to vote um, or fear exercising their right of free speech and um, you know we're here to send uh, love and positivity uh, and a hope for peace and that we can have all this uh, these wonderful new leaders all right enough of that hippie crap you're listening to mutinyradio.fm i'm david stolwitz the common thread collective is full of shit Bunch of fucking idealistic assholes who talk a good game but haven't been able to accomplish anything. We're going to put on something worth listening to until happy hour open mic at six. Thanks for your patience. Ugh. Tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. 
They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports. Vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there.
You're listening to MutinyRadio.fm. Stay tuned for Happy Hour Open Mic.
You're listening to MutinyRadio.fm. Stay tuned for Happy Hour Open Mic at 6 p.m. every Friday here at 2781 21st Street. Hit that donate button. Share the love. No, you don't have a lot to give, but even $5 will help. Thank you, San Francisco. We love you.
I'm tired of people and you know, saying that millennials I go swimming suck. in my vault of like, rare coins and files. This conversation. <laughs> like, if millennials are soft, that's not our fault. 
we can't make ourselves soft. You can't spoil yourself. <laughs> Everything we asked for, we got. We asked for Nintendo, boom, we got a Nintendo. Who told you to listen to a little kid? <laughs> That's not on me. Like, these people are like, you guys don't understand. You guys grew up with the internet. I'm like, y'all made the internet. <laughs> y'all waited in line for Windows 95. <laughs> now you mad at me, because when the update comes up on my phone, I'm like, I don't need that. <laughs> I'm good. I think some of these people just mad that the Squatty Potty came out so late in their lives. <laughs> I'm like, it's a new way to poop now? I can't take this. What you mean my toilet needs a step? I didn't know that. Been not stepping on my toilet this whole time. Living in weird times. I get all my political news from Cardi B. She goes on political rants, it's great. Lifelong Republicans respond to her. Every rant she has, she starts with, all I know is, which is great, you know? Politicians never tell us everything they know. They're always keeping secrets. Not Cardi B. Everything she does, we pay attention to. She threw a shoe and got a Reebok deal. Used to have to be on best behavior to get a shoe deal. She said footages, they wanted to add footages to the dictionary. The dictionary needs more confidence. Why every time somebody cool says something, they want to add it to the dictionary? Like rappers said bling, they want to add bling to the dictionary. They want to add stand to the dictionary. Destiny's Child made bootylicious, they want to add bootylicious to the dictionary. Why? No one uses that word. I've never seen anybody walking down the street and somebody be like, man, that girl's bootylicious. That doesn't happen. Why are we trying to make the dictionary bigger? We have so many words. No one knows all the words. If somebody knew all the words, they'd win America's Got Talent. Like, we have so many words, we watch spelling bees. Like, give them the definition, give them the origin, maybe they'll figure it out. Like, I think every week we should get rid of a word. Every week, we should have a vote. Like, anybody using this one? No? All right, let's kick it. Of course, the minute we get rid of a word, that's the minute we're going to need it. That's when you're going to be at the doctor's office. They're going to be like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you've been diagnosed with, well, there's no word for that anymore. It's been canceled. I don't know what to tell you. I'm just going to have to describe it to you. Uh, you have dryness of the mouth. You have a sore throat. You have perspiration in your lower back. Like, what do you call that? You can call it whatever you want. Some people are starting to call it bootylicious. I'm so glad I don't have a face tattoo. I feel like some of these people with face tattoos, they're not gonna make it. Like, some of these people are gonna have to get regular jobs, and they're gonna have to learn how to contour <laughs> before they go to work. I don't have time to take makeup tutorials. 
There's a producer, his name is Zan Frank. He has a tattoo of Anne Frank on his face. Like, if he doesn't make it, he's got to move to Amsterdam. You ever use your front camera to check your reflection? Does that make you feel like we're in the future? People think I'm texting, I'm just really looking for pizza sauce. I when people are like, you know, the government is watching you. You know, the government can see everything you're doing. Like, what is this footage of me getting the eye boogers out of my eye gonna do for the government? Also, who is at the government watching our phones all day? They're gonna miss a lot. Like, what did you see today? Oh man, it's a lot of pockets. I don't know what to tell you, it's a lot of lint. The first mirror, that must have been a great invention. First person to have a mirror at their house, somebody came over, they're like, what's that? They're like, that's you. At first, only people who had money had mirrors, and people who didn't have money had all the confidence. They're like, we gotta get these people mirrors. They don't know what they look like yet. They need to feel bad like we feel. First person to have a mirror on this side and a mirror on this side, they must have been going crazy. Like, oh man, there's thousands of me. I could play with this all day. This is incredible. Because before the mirror, if you wanted to see your reflection, you had to look in water. If you don't like what you see in water, you can manipulate that. You'd be like, no, nah, I'm losing weight. Can't do that with a mirror. I want to use one of those exercise videos, but how do I know that the person on the video got in shape using the methods of the videos? They're already in shape on the first disc of the DVDs. Like for me to use one of those exercise programs, I would need for the person to start out out of shape. Then as the DVDs go along, they get in shape. So then that way, if I quit, I can still watch it like a reality show. <laughs> like, I didn't make it, but let me see if he makes it. Put the next disc in. I'm gonna just watch a whole season. I'm gonna just watch a whole season. If he does it, I'll go back and do it with him, but I gotta see him do it first.
Been there. 